Right eye dominance. Right eye dominance. Right eye dominance. Right eye dominance. Right eye This is the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I am your host, Nick Toro Jr. Today's episode is the second in a series that I'm calling Worth 1000 Words. And today I'll be taking a deep dive look at a photograph by Richard Avedon. So before I focus on the specific photograph that I'd like to discuss, I want to give you a little bit of a background on Richard Avedon himself. You may know the name, you may know his work, but if you don't, here's a little overview. Richard Avedon was a photographer who lived and worked during the 20th century, was primarily known as a fashion photographer, and he was probably the most uh, highly recognized and most successful fashion photographers certainly from the 1950s through the 60s and into the 70s. He was uh, much sought after by most of the top fashion magazines at the time. He was also staff photographer for a long time for Harper's Bazaar and then Vogue. Uh, But what some folks might not know is that Avedon was also known as a portrait slash fine art photographer and his work has been seen in museums around the world. And most of his portraits have a signature style that you will see them and immediately recognize that it is a Richard Avedon photo. And so I'm saying that because you can look at the dichotomy of the the work of Richard Avedon and you can look at it as two separate tracks, commercial fashion work and fine art portraiture work. However, those two worlds often wove together for Avedon. His portraits were often used in magazines and editorial work, and his fashion work was often seen in museums and galleries. So those two lines definitely crossed uh, throughout Avedon's career. Uh, I picked up a book a biography called Avedon's Something Personal. I'm not necessarily going to recommend this book for you to read. It does have a little bit of a page six celebrity tabloid kind of vibe to it. But it is interesting to see how Avedon emerged in New York City and worked his way into the world of photography and then becoming at one time the most successful photographer on the planet. And what I find interesting about this book is that you really see behind the curtain his working methods, how he specifically his working methods when he was doing fashion work, which oftentimes he would manipulate his subject matter to get exactly the kind of image that he envisioned. I find this particularly telling because once you start looking at his portrait work and his fine art photography, I see the same approach applied to those photographs. And and I will get into this a little bit deeper in a bit about how I feel that he was very manipulative as, as a photographer 
and the work specifically the portrait work and the work that yields the 1000 words photograph that I will be discussing it's got the fingerprints of exploitation and manipulation on it and it's difficult for me to separate that approach from the final product of the photographs so here we go deep dive time richard avedon worth a thousand words So the photograph I'm going to be discussing comes from a body of work that is called In the American West by Richard Avedon. And the work that is contained in this book was an offshoot of a project that Avedon undertook when he was shooting in Western United States in the state of Montana. And he was photographing portraits of ranch workers up there. And this was in the 70s, 1970s. The Eamon Carter Museum in Fort Worth, Texas, heard about this project that was underway and commissioned Avedon to continue this project for five years. They basically paid and, and funded this photographic portrait project of, of the American West and upon its completion, the museum now has uh, in their collection all the original negatives and prints from this uh, American West project. I know that Avedon was paid handsomely for this project, but it is interesting that it was a commissioned, basically a commissioned project. I came across this book sometime in the late 80s, and the cover photo in particular, I recognized not because of my knowledge of, of photography or my knowledge of Avedon. I recognized that photograph from an album cover by the band Sonic Youth. It appears on the cover as part of a collage of their album's sister. That's about the extent of what I knew about Avedon. I wasn't really into fashion photography at the time, and I didn't know too much about this project at all. But um, I found the book in a bookstore, picked it up. The photographs that are in the book were all shot with an 8x10 view camera. There's evidence of this approach um, throughout the book because Avedon is printing the images or had the images printed basically full frame. So you see the entire film edge, the sheet of film, and you see the markings of the film holder and oftentimes the notch marks of the film itself. I'm bringing this up because there is something about shooting with an 8x10 camera. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And indeed, uh, Avedon actually traveled with a number of assistants that helped him set up the camera and, and then also supply him with the film backs because you expose one sheet of film at a time. This definitely slowed the process down, but what it also allowed Avedon to do was he would not get underneath the dark cloth at the back of the camera and focus to prepare for the photo. Instead, he would stand at the front of the camera and have his assistants prep the back of the camera with the film back while he was talking to the subject matter with a cable release in his hand. 
And that allowed Avedon to make the exposure at exactly the time that he wanted to. He was able to read his subject's face and body language up close and personal and then make that exposure. Probably most of the time the subject didn't even know that the photo had just been taken. He could have easily just kept the cable release down by the side of his, his leg or behind his back and you wouldn't even know unless you heard the click of the shutter that a photo was taken. Now I'm bringing that up because there's a really, there's a quality in these photographs that's consistent throughout. Not only is there consistent white background and even lighting, which tells me that it was shot in the shade, probably with natural lighting, but also the fact that there aren't people smiling in these photographs. I think that is one indication of the power of the photographer to make the decision of when they wanted to take the photograph. One could say that without a smile, the subjects may appear more vulnerable or more themselves or more exposed. And I think all those things are true. Where it also raises some issues for me is that um, these certainly aren't candid photos. And I think it shows the hand of the photographer that all of his subjects are approached the same way. To me, that's, it's, it, it does reek a little bit of, of, of exploitation or manipulation of his subjects because these people would appear very differently had they been smiling or in a different, you know, environment besides having just like a white background behind them. And sometimes you look at these photographs and they look like anthropological specimens the way they're on display. The photographs that Ivadon took uh, ended up in this book, like I said, they ended up in gallery shows that traveled around the world. The photographs themselves were, were printed extremely large, larger than life size. So you can imagine walking into a gallery and seeing these photos just overwhelm the visitor as they enter the gallery. That's also something that I take issue with. It, it definitely changes how a viewer is going to react to a photograph if this thing is three times their natural size towering either above you or staring down at you, you're not going to have the same kind of emotional connection with the subject matter that you would if it was a natural size portrait or something like an eight by 10 framed photo like most of us are used to seeing portraits as. Again, that is the photographer's prerogative to present the work that way, but it definitely feeds into that suspicion that I have that Avedon was a master manipulator when it came to how he was going to show his, his subjects. He was always in charge and he always had the last word. I know that's usually how most photographers will approach a subject matter, but when it comes to dealing with people and portraits, and certainly people that are not from your world, not from the circles that Avedon ran in in New York City, among the glitterati and the, the fashion elite and the, you know, the people who run the museums and run the publishing companies, it really does feel like there's this sort of uh, contrast between the person that Avedon was and the, the artist that he was and the lives of the subject matter that's contained in this book. So now I'd like to dive right in and talk about the one specific photograph that really uh, is the focal point of this episode. If you'd like to view the photograph while I'm discussing it, there is a link to the photograph in the show notes down below. So you might want to have the 
photograph in front of you as we take a deeper look. It's a portrait of a man named Carl Hofert, and in the book he's presented as an unemployed blackjack dealer from Reno, Nevada. The photograph was taken in 1983, and like every other photo in the book, our subject is shown uh, from the waist up against a solid white background facing the camera. Now, the first thing that I notice in this portrait is the texture on Carl's face. He's got weathered skin, his uh, brow is furrowed, and there's a curl of a pompadour in his hair that rises up on top of his head. Uh, the ridges of his neck are very pronounced, and there's a clench in his hands, specifically the one hand that's uh, seen outside of a pocket. It's got a really interesting sort of uh, grip to it. If you look at a portrait in general, you think that the human face is the focal point, and although this photo does show a lot of drama on Carl Hofert's face, with all of the texture of the wrinkles and resignation so apparent on his face, but I think the real telling component of this portrait is actually Carl Hofert's hands. And if we think about the fact that he's an unemployed blackjack dealer, that might be the key connection to everything that's happening in this photograph. Because what does a blackjack dealer do? He, well, he deals cards with his hands. And are Carl Hofert's hands the reason why he's no longer a blackjack dealer? Is it the reason why he's unemployed? He's got one hand that's shoved into a pocket and you're only seeing the thumb. And the other hand is, is in a really odd-looking, uncomfortable-looking clench. And I'm wondering if he somehow has some sort of uh, impairment of his, of his hands. He's not able to hold the cards in his hands anymore, and maybe that's why he's unemployed. Th this one detail upends this entire photograph for me. Now the title of the photograph has deeper meaning for me than I thought of before. As I said, in, in the case of much of the series, Avedon treats his subject like a specimen, something to be studied and, and scrutinized. And as I'm looking at this photograph, I keep that in mind because I am studying and I am scrutinizing the photograph. I'm also in some ways doing the same with the, the, the man in the picture it, it himself. I look at these photographs, for the most part, with a sense of empathy. I try to imagine what this person's life was like. Uh, certainly, being an unemployed blackjack dealer in Reno is a completely different life than Avedon was, was leading in New York at the time. I question, though, if there was any empathy in Avedon's approach. And I say that because as you look through this book, and uh, Hofert in particular, it's not a very flattering photograph. There's a sense of resignation on his face. Definitely a vulnerability. And I, I think that in, in many ways uh, he was trusting the photographer. And I don't know if that trust was warranted. You know, you look at this photo and again, I think you'd feel differently if he was smiling. You would react quite differently. Um, and the fact that it's titled Unemployed Black Jack Dealer in Reno, it's already skewing our perception of him. I find it challenging to think of a well-paid fashion photographer 
wandering around the American West, looking for interesting characters to photograph and to be presenting them in a way that just kind of in some ways feels like he's assembling this this portfolio of oddities or people to gawk at in the comfort of a gallery or in the hardcover books sitting in a library and not really get into the context of what these people's lives are like. You'll see in this book, for example, he photographed drifters that uh, were on the side of the highway. But again, he's presenting them with neutral lighting against a white background. It's an interesting and challenging setup, certainly from a viewer's standpoint, because here's somebody that we would probably fly by in our car at 80 miles an hour and not even you know, notice them. And now we may be looking at them and studying them, each feature on their face, each smudge of dirt, each stain on their jeans. And in one particular photograph, I see that there's some money folded up in one of the drifter's hands, which I'm sure Avedon paid him a few bucks to pose. I would also gather that Avedon made a lot more money off that photograph than the drifter got paid for in that particular situation. Avedon traveled around to uh, mining towns, oil fields, Mennonite communities. He spent time in asylums, uh, specifically in Las Vegas, uh, New Mexico. And if you look at this body of work as a whole, I feel that it's a definitely a slice of what society was like or continues to be like in the American West. There's definitely stratification between uh, economic classes that's on display in this book. And again, I have some problems with the fact that a rich New Yorker can roll into town and, and take these photos and then roll away and benefit from them. But at the same time, they're not without merit, you know, causing us as viewers to contemplate a little deeper what's going on. And I say that because I bought this book as a middle-class suburban kid in the 1980s, and I was looking at people who I had never seen before, probably would never cross paths with. And as a viewer, I probably didn't have empathy for the subjects that were presented when I first saw this book. Now, decades later, I look and I have a deep sense of empathy for the subjects in this book. But that was a change in me. That wasn't, the, the photos didn't change. Uh, Avedon didn't change. In fact, Avedon's no longer alive to even have these conversations about the work. And if he were, I, I would love to have the opportunity to talk to him about his process and his motivation. And as far as talking about motivation behind these photos and why I do feel that they're somewhat exploitative is because Avedon came from the world of fashion. And fashion photographs, are the, the whole foundation of fashion photography is superficiality or non-reality. It is part of a consumption industry and a putting value on things that most people cannot afford. And so someone who lived and operated and created in that world could be suspicious, I'd say, of what his motivations were to come out west and do this body of work. 
On the flip side, and if I was feeling generous, I could say that maybe that was Avedon's way of absolving his conscience to a certain degree to be dealing with real life people in a real world environment as opposed to a total made up fabricated world of fashion. However, I will give uh, credit where credit's due. It does take a degree of skill, a degree of finesse, and a degree of gumption or just balls to kind of show up in a place where you are clearly not not a local, show up with a bunch of people and set up a camera and then interact with people and gain their trust enough that they will pose for you. That seems to be a challenge for a lot of photographers. That's a huge barrier for people shooting on the streets or doing portrait work in general, is that relationship with your subject matter. And so Avedon was able to maneuver that and navigate those interactions and produce an outstanding body of work from it. I will also say that uh, looking back on this book now, there are indications in these photographs of the social dynamic that we are living in today. Not only coastal versus heartland or red state versus blue state or conservative versus liberal, but also poor people, poor rural people, poor people in America versus people who have more money than they know what to do with it. You know, I could travel probably just a couple of miles from my house here in Albuquerque and find subject matter that is equal to what Avedon photographed. So this isn't a time capsule by any means or documentation of a world that no longer exists. If anything, it was a little bit of a foreshadowing of where our society and our culture was heading. And like it or not, I have to give Avedon credit for that because this work is prescient in the way that maybe he had no idea it was going to be. So that is my exploration of Richard Avedon, Worth a Thousand Words. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, feel free to visit my website, writeidominantpodcast.com. Down at the bottom, there's a section where you can contact me and you can include comments or questions. I would love to hear from you. Also, uh, as I've said almost every episode, if you like what you're hearing, I would certainly appreciate a five-star rating on the Apple Podcast platform. Or if you got the time and the motivation, you could always leave a review of the show there as well. I'd greatly appreciate that. Lastly, if you want to support the show in another way, I do have t-shirts for sale on the website. Um, so go ahead and pick yourself up a shirt and let the world know that you are a discerning photo nerd like me. That's it for now. This has been the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I've been your host, Nick Toro Jr. Until next time, stay well. Today's episode has been a production of RightEyeDominant.art. The music for today's episode was brought to you by Yazar, Lazenby Industries, The Conant Project, and the White Plains. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero.